live from Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter. Thanks, you guys. That was a lot of effort for that. All right. Yes. I can't ask you more quickly. <laughs> Just kidding. Hey. This is an exciting night uh, here at campus. Uh, for one, I can say we have what I believe to be uh, the best guest we've ever had. We've had some guests. No, I'm telling you, the best guest we've ever had. And uh, let me just tell you really quickly, several years ago, uh, after teaching and accepting futurism as my eschatological view, uh, coming out of Calvary Chapel, and of course that was Chuck Smith's uh, thing, and, and, and I really believed that somebody just sent me a book out of the blue, and it was by a man named Brother Glenn Hill, and it was called Christianity's Greatest Dilemma. And uh, I typically don't read those uh, books when they come, but for some reason, the, I just read it, and I called uh, our guest tonight, and uh, who I had the honor to meet uh, this evening for the first time, and he changed not only my eschatological view uh, once and for all, but he also changed uh, a lot of the way I see the faith, and he's changed a lot of other people here in the state of Utah and other people who watch the show. Uh, we get emails uh, about end times probably uh, weekly still, and people saying how much they have been affected by the teachings on when did Jesus return, etc. So I just want to introduce with all my heart a man who's changed my life. He means so much to me, and everybody here is in love with him already. Brother Glenn Hill. And look at, he, he gussies up the place. I mean, you really, well, you added some good stuff. Oh, did I? Yeah, you look great. Did I bring it? Bring you, some good vibes. You brought some good vibes. Brother Glenn Hill, go and tell us, if you would, about your upbringing and just bring us through your religious uh, teachings and beliefs all the way up until the time things changed. Okay. Uh, how long do we have? <laughs> We've got uh, one hour. First, let me say just how honored I am to be here. I am so excited. I, I tell people once in a while when I write a letter to them and discovered some brother or sister that's, that's found the truth about the last days, I say, I get excited when I find a brother that loves the truth about the last days. But lo and behold, lo and behold, I found a pile of brothers and sisters here tonight, and I am really excited. As I was telling someone earlier, I thought it was just going to be a Sean and I, and we were going to talk into microphones and do a, a show of some kind. I had no idea I was going to get to see all of you, and so I'm so grateful to be here and so honored to, to sit here on the stage with you, and um, the fact that my book has been used of the Lord to help anybody just kind of blows my mind. I'm about as close to a nobody as you can get, an old country preacher. And when I get to go speak at places like conferences, I feel kind of uh, out of place with all the doctors and lawyers and Indian chiefs. And I say, I'm just a country preacher and don't, don't have much education. But anyway, I love the people and the people love me and we seem to make out all right. But uh, it's just wonderful to be here and I just, Wow, I'm wanting to come back now, but it's a couple of miles from North Carolina. <laughs> I'm here because my wonderful son, my older son, 
Chris, who's with us, has been talking a few months now about taking his daddy out to see the Grand Canyon. And so he said, we'll fly into Salt Lake City. And immediately my mind lit up. And I said, I know a preacher there. Or at least I don't know him, but I'm, I know of him. But um, so, so we've come and we're going to rent a car tomorrow and, and go around the west and see the Grand Canyon and wake our way on back home driving. So we flew out and landed today in Denver, then Salt Lake. And so we're here. And when I called Sean to tell him when I was coming, he says, you're going to be here on Tuesday? I said, yes. And uh, he said, well, that's the night we have our, our, our television show. And would you be on it? So it just so happened that I was here in town of this night, and I'm so glad. I was a little nervous before, but I'm so glad that uh, Tuesday night was when we arrived and I could be here on your show. Uh, I've tried to live for the Lord ever since I was a boy. I guess I was nine years old when I first committed my heart to the Lord, and ever since then I've tried to live for Him and follow Him the best I knew and the best I could find out. Um, in my younger boy lies, I was involved with uh, pretty fundamental r religious churches uh, uh, that would probably be of the nature of a Pentecostal church, Pentecostal holiness, or, or things like that. Um, I, I, as I grew up, uh, there was so much put on in Pentecost that I kind of distanced myself from it a little bit. Not distancing myself from my own experiences, but knowing that uh, there is a genuine feeling of the Spirit, there's a genuine of the Lord touching your life, there's a genuineness and come and know Him and Him know you, and, and there is a reality of Him living in us and us living in Him. So I guess I was a teenage boy when I began to preach. Um, and you know, if you've heard me, I'm 76 now, and uh, I still haven't learned how to do it well, but I've been working on it a long time. So uh, all my life, I've tried to live for the Lord, tried to do right, and uh, hasn't always been easy, and I haven't always been successful at it, but uh, it has been the goal of my life to please the Lord and to make Him glad He saved me and died for me. Um, for, for many years, probably about 15, I assisted the pastor in my church there in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, as, as the pastor. Our church was named Meadowbrook Christian Church. We were an, a non-nominal group. Uh, there's a Christian organization, but we weren't a part of it. We just, we just named it, Meadowbrook was the name of the community. We named it Meadowbrook Christian Church because that's what we just wanted to be, we were Christians. So uh, I, I ministered there again for about uh, 15 years, assisting the pastor that was there when I was a boy and young man, and then after he went on to other things, I uh, became the pastor for about 30 years or so. 30? Yeah, so about 30 years or so. I'm, but I'm not, I'm not doing that now, and I'm, I'm, um, I don't preach except when I get invited somewhere, uh, but I, and I call myself retired, but my book keeps me busy. There's people calling every day. I seem like I'm writing emails or something and wanting to know about it, and so I, I I said I was going to call the publisher. I'm wondering if I've set a record. The book came out in, the, in December of 2010. And uh, I don't think there's been a month since then that I didn't sell at least one book through Amazon and get a little royalty, not much. But I just, it just blows my mind that 
again, an unknown like me and a nobody like me that, that every month for these years, and usually it's several more than one, but uh, the fact that it's kind of done that every month has just been amazing to me and, and blows my mind. This is the first book I'd ever written, and uh, of course you didn't ask me to talk about that all right now, but anyway, um, I'm grateful for the acceptance that it has, but I preached, I, I was always kind of an offcast in the community as far as preachers were concerned because I have always been interested in truth. It didn't matter what the Baptist or the Methodist taught or the church down the street, you know, if it didn't agree with the Bible, then I, I didn't want anything to do with it. And so I've been, I've been a, a staunch pursuer of truth all my life, and so I have not been particularly liked by the local ministry. And so uh, when I moved a step forward in finding the truth about the last days, uh, it was nothing new for me as far as being different from everybody else. But, but anyway, most of my ministry was a ministry that did dwell on what does the Bible say about things and, and try to preach it from that perspective. And so um, I don't know how you folks feel about the, the doctrine of hell. Uh, do y'all believe in hell? Oh, we believe in hell, yeah. You do? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well. <laughs> but we believe it's over. But I don't. Okay, all right, okay. Yeah. All right, well, anyway, so that was, you know, I was, I was the no-heller. No hell a preacher around town. I didn't know that about you. Yeah. Yes, another thing in common. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, I got persecuted a lot about that because of that, and and uh, then I, uh, but but so so through my ministry, I never had a large church because the truth is, I live in what was called a Bible Belt, and uh, if a guy don't believe in hell, then 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 he don't have much chance. But I, I would, I love people, and I think I've demonstrated that to you tonight. I just love you. I've already fallen in love with you. I've just met you. I've said one of the, one of the miracles of Christianity is that two complete strangers can come together, and all of a sudden you find out you love the same Jesus, and immediately you love each other. And past that, you love this truth about the end times, and you love each other. And that's what's happened here tonight. And so I I love you, and I've loved people like that. And I've had people to come into my church, and I'm so happy to have them. I've loved them. They thought there was nothing like the fellowship at our little church. And then when they found out I didn't believe in the hell, then uh, they, <laughs> they, 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 had to leave, they had to leave. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, um, so um, can I get to the point of John Bray's book, maybe? How did how did you yeah come, uh, how did I come to yeah. come to this crazy ideas about the last days? Well, um, I had always believed that Matthew twenty four was about the Lord's judgment on His people, and that it was history. And of course, there again, that, that on top of not believing in hell, that made me different from all the other preachers in town because this is something yet to come, brother. <laughs> but I didn't believe that. But when you got to the rest of the Bible, the Acts of the Epistles, and the Acts and the Epistles, all those comings were future to me. While I saw Matthew 24 was fulfilled, I thought that Acts and, the, and the, all the Epistles, all those speaking of the coming of the Lord was something yet to come. And I was looking for the Lord to come any day. I felt like it could happen any time. I anticipated a rapture. I anticipated a resurrection of bodies out of the ground. I anticipated the earth being burned up. 
and probably maybe recreated in the saints living here. So that's kind of, kind of my, my gist of it. Uh, so I, I, uh, that, that's what I preached and what I stood for. And, and when, I, when Brother John Bray, if you haven't read his book, it's called Matthew 24 Fulfilled, he's given the American Vision the right to keep it published. He's real old now, and I'm not sure he's still living. But anyway, it was a wonderful book. And when it came out several years ago, and I got a hold of it, I, I read it, and I was just so delighted. Here was this wonderful, highly educated Baptist minister who saw Matthew 24 like me. And so I had to look him up. He was a traveling evangelist. And when he came up toward North Carolina from Florida, his home, I, uh, uh, I went to see him. And I went to, to different ones of his meetings and got to love, know him and love him and appreciate him. And I uh, was just so excited that he saw Matthew 24 like me. And then in one, one of his, we even got his book and went through it as a Bible study at church. But one of his later editions on the back page, the page was blank except about this, the size of a business card. In the center of that blank page was this statement that in, in my studies of Matthew 24, I've come to believe that the rest of the, or all of the comings of the Lord in the New Testament are the same comings as the one in Matthew 24. Well, I said, oh, Brother John, you've gone too far now. And I had began to love him and have such respect for him. I said, I've got to study this out. So I thought I could get him back on a straight and narrow path. But <laughs> as I began to study, I began to realize that he's the one that found the truth and I was wrong. So um, that's what began, that, that was the thing that began my search about the truth that we know today, and they call it preterism. And I never heard of that word before that time. But uh, in pursuing that and trying to study it out and going to little conferences here and there and hearing Don Preston and, and David Curtis speak and John Noy and Ed Stevens and others who were kind of leaders, uh, my wife and I, we just began to kind of gradually begin to see that we were wrong about this and that the scriptures were, were very plain about, about it and it, they'd been there all the time and we just had kind of gone over them and missed them or not paid any attention to them because we didn't know how to explain them. And, uh, but but, but John, Brother John's book got me studying and got me going and, and I finally concluded that... Uh, that this was the truth and that I was mistaken about the coming of the Lord in the last days. My wife uh, probably saw the truth before I did and maybe admitted it before I did. I told Brother Sean coming on that I perhaps was a little less ready to say I'm wrong than she was. <laughs> and, and, so I, and even after I discovered, felt sure that it was right, I, I kind of put it on the back burner of my life because I had fellowship with other churches and fellowship with other ministers and and uh, I knew that if I all of a sudden said hey brothers the Lord pardon the English the Lord ain't coming in a minute <laughs> that uh, my, my, my fellowship would be getting blown to bits <laughs> and and that's what happened I couldn't leave it on the back burner so I did have to come out after several months maybe a year and go public with with the fact that uh, that I no longer was looking to the Lord and that we weren't living in the last days, and the earth was not about to be destroyed by the Lord's coming. And uh, it, it just, uh, old, old H broke loose, as they said, <laughs> and uh, my, life, my life got turned upside down. 
had a wonderful wife who saw it with me and we enjoyed it together and suffered together. But I tell you folks this, I went through a lot of pain to stand for this truth when I came out first to begin with. But the pain and the suffering and the sorrow that I've endured has been like nothing compared to the joy and the happiness and the gladness that has filled my soul these last several years from understanding the truth about the last days. I mean, I'd preached all my life and I really didn't know what the story was of the New Testament. I really didn't know what was going on there. And after after you realized what was really happening and the transition that was being made, so much stuff made more sense. And questions you had got answered. I, I still have a lot, but questions got answered and, and things things fit fitted together more. And I just was just amazed. And again, the joy that's just filled my heart. I'm 76, not 86. I don't know what I look like, but anyway, I heard a lady say this weekend, she had a birthday, it was a big birthday, and she wasn't telling her age. She said, I'll just tell you this. This is the first, 31st year that I've been celebrating my 39th birthday. So <laughs> I got to come up with something like that. But, but I'm 76, and, and this truth made a new man out of me. And more than that, it made a new Christian out of me. I thought I loved Jesus before, but I, I, I love him so much more than I ever did. And, of course, along with this is finding grace. You know, uh, Sister Paula heard me preach Sunday before last at, at Berean Bible Church at their conference, and I kind of flayed myself there, telling all the ups and downs of my life and my struggles to be righteous by my works, and finally finding grace. Ah, oh, finally realizing, Lord, if you don't save me, I'm not going to get saved because I can't do this myself. And I just, I just remember having the feeling of just kind of like falling back in the arms of the Lord. And our church had revival after I preached a little sermon one Sunday morning called The Simplicity of the Gospel. Hmm. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And it can't be that easy, Lord. You've got to do this and you've got to do that and you've got to keep this rule. I wasn't trying to keep the law, but coming up in the fundamental Christian organization, the idea there were plenty of man-made rules that I was working to keep. But, but that, that, that just set me free. And, and then finding the truth about the last days. I, I, I had just warned about it so much. I said, Lord, you know, when are you coming? I, I said, what are you waiting on? Are you waiting for the world to get more wicked? I mean, it's bad enough. What, what are you waiting on? And, and then I would say, Lord, why didn't you give us a little bit better instructions in your Bible about when you were coming back? You just left us hanging like this. And 2,000 years now, we've been looking for you to come back. You should have been more pacific. Wow, did I have an awakening. He's so pacific, you know. <laughs> before this generation passes, before all you guys die, while you're still preaching and fleeing from city to city, I'm coming. So, wow, when you begin to... When you, and I'd studied those scriptures all my life. My problem was if I couldn't explain it to agree with how I saw things, I just kind of left it for the time being. But uh, as I began to go back and look at them again, it just, it just all came together. And, and uh, in the mountains of North Carolina, about 200 miles from my home, a guy named John Anderson, I have to give him a lot of credit, he started having an annual conference, and he'd invite guys like Don Preston and, and, and John Noy and, and uh, David Curtis and, 
and uh, Ed Stevens, William Bell, and I'd go and listen to those guys and pick up what little papers or CDs or, or cassette tapes back in those days that they had that I could listen to. And, and we, did, we didn't, John had conferences about 10 years and we didn't miss a year. We were eager to learn all about it we could and, and to really determine if it were the truth. Of course, it didn't take that long to determine it was the truth, but we did keep digging and, and, and it mattered to us. Again, I've always been a guy that the truth mattered. Some people, the truth don't matter, but truth matters. And the truth about the end time matters here. As I preached, preached recently in preaching about the kingdom, if our country, if our government, if, if our fellow Christians in America could understand that today Jerusalem's just another city like every other city as far as salvation is concerned. I mean, it's historical and it's wonderful and all that, but as far as God's concerned, he's finished with it. It's just, just another place. Uh, He'd said that uh, the day's coming when you won't be worshiping me on this mountain or in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And so that day is here and now. The kingdom has come and we're living in it and enjoying it. And uh, they want to set Jesus up as a natural king in Jerusalem and build a temple and all that stuff. The Lord was no more interested. The Lord wasn't interested in the temple that was here when he came. <laughs> and to be least in, less interested in a new one. But uh, if... There could be peace in the Middle East if the religious zealots could see the truth about the fact that that day is over and gone and Jerusalem has played its role and uh, the Lord's kingdom is here today and it's not, it's not confined to geography. It's a spiritual kingdom mm. and we can have it here and they can have it back in North Carolina and everywhere else at the same moment. You don't have to go to Jerusalem. You don't have to go to Rocky Mount. Wherever you are, the Lord has promised to come and live in your heart and you live in his, and together, y'all, we make a, a great team. But um, when I went public, I lost my privilege to preach in churches that I'd preached for many years. Uh, folks generally loved to hear me preach for some reason. I don't know why, but uh, I got... The preachers didn't want me anymore in their pulpit, you know, and... I could come, I could visit, and, but I didn't want me preaching, and and um, I never. And so I, I guess having having been kind of shut down, my outlets kind of being cut off, is what prompted me to write the book. I said, and of course everybody thought Brother Glenn's left the faith. Well, I hadn't left the faith. I just had grown in it. I felt like and and loved the Lord more than I ever had, but. Um, so, so not having that outlet to preach to people that I'd preached to all my life, or most all of my life, uh, I said, I'll write a book and maybe they'll read it, and maybe they'll understand, and maybe they'll see it. So that was the impetus that set me to writing. And uh, uh, again, I'm just a nobody, and I can't believe that the Lord has used my little book to help change lives. But I'm, I'm so grateful to it. I give him all the praise and all the glory and all the honor, if there is any, it all goes to him. Praise God. Um, Delaney, are we showing the graphic for how to get his book? Okay. okay. Um, <clears throat> you can get it about anywhere. You can order it directly from me. You can get it from Amazon. You can get it from your favorite bookstore. They won't have it. Of course, the Christian bookstores won't have it. They don't want it on their shelves. But um, from most, any bookstore, you can have them order it for you, or you can order it directly from me. I have a website. She'll show it to you, but uh, there it is. Or email or phone. But 
the book is still, after having been out, what, going on seven years now, it's still selling, 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 selling. I can't believe it. I was telling Brother Sean, I just recently, recently sent 20 to, to Louisiana and 10 to, 10 to Florida and, and as, last week sent 10 to Australia and it's, it's, it's all over the world and it just blows my mind and, and uh, I get phone calls and when I do, uh, Paula, I get kind of nervous because I pick it up and say, hey, I read your book. <laughs> and I don't know what's coming next. <laughs> going to say, you're the biggest liar ever seen, spreading this false doctrine. Or are they going to say, brother, you changed my life. So I don't know what's coming. But uh, I, there's been enough, brother, you changed my life to make, out for all, make up for all the rejections. So uh, I apologize for my voice. I'm hard enough to understand anyway. I got this thick southern drawl, and then I'm hoarse. Um, Sunday before last, that weekend, I was at, in the Berean Bible Conference, Brother David Curtis in Virginia Beach for four days. We had a wonderful time, and I left there hoarse from ministering. And I was beginning to get better, better and then this past Saturday I had a wedding to do, and I used my voice right much, and so it got hoarse again. And so I'm, and the problem I'd be horse horse more in the morning, but anyway, it doesn't matter about that. But I just apologize to you for it, having to listen to my hoarseness, but and my southern draw together. But I hope you can understand what I'm saying. But Clearly. I love you so much, and I appreciate you having me here. And, and I never dreamed I'd even get to meet you. Mm. We live so far apart, but uh, my son's goodness to me has made it possible. Yes. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> hey, can we get a mic? Do we have a third mic? Uh, do, is, for uh, questions from the audience, if anyone wants to <coughs> pose a question, uh, we have a mic that uh, Delaney will get to you uh, once they set it up. But before we do, you don't mind that, do you? It's not, not any hard questions. All right, make them easy. <laughs> I'm not a very good question answerer. Oh, you are. If, if you um, if you got a question, you give me a couple of days, I'll get you an answer. But uh, <laughs> I'm not like. I'm not like Don Preston, who, who has everything he ever read right there and <laughs> called up like that, you know. <laughs> he's been right here on the stage. Has he? Yeah. Well, I'm honored to sit in this place, and he's quite a man. He I is. love Brother Don so much. He's meant so much to my life, um, and I just appreciate his work and his ministry. Wow, he is something else. Before we do the question, uh, let me ask one thing that you, you brought to my attention. One of the bigger... Uh, issues that I hear about that stands against preterism and this eschatology is that it's anti-Semitic. Now, I don't know if you hear that very much, but I've, I've gotten that. And, and, the, and the whole thing behind that is what you said earlier, uh, Glenn, is that is, uh, listen, Jerusalem is just like anybody else now. We're, we're, and I agree with that completely. But do you find that to be any sort of obstacle within the faith, especially within America and our you know, pro-Israel stance? Well, I haven't run into it a lot myself. Okay. Maybe it's because I travel in different circles or something. I don't mm -hmm. know, but I haven't run into that a lot. But, wow, my, my, and my feeling about it, you know, is that, you know, the Lord wants to save a Jewish person as much as he does anybody else, but their salvation comes through faith in Jesus like mine does. Amen. So the, the, nothing the Lord has are they, they eliminated from it's just that no more are they his special people because of who their daddy was. Mm. We're now special because of who our Heavenly Father is. And if you're his child, then 
then you're the true Jew today. You're the true Israel. Amen. And uh, so and that applies to everybody, Jews and Gentiles alike. So that's my understanding on that. And I can see how that that I are not giving importance to the Zionist movement uh, and the efforts to to resettle all the Jews as many as you can over in Israel. Uh, that, that that's the most hypocritical effort I've ever seen. Mm. They raise money to trying to move Jews to Jerusalem, and then they believe the Lord's going to come, and two thirds of them are going to be slaughtered. And that's uh, wow. that that's real love, isn't it? You know. I, that, I would tell a Jew stay in New York or somewhere <laughs> till after that happens. You know, what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I've never thought of that. Well, that's right. That's it, amazing. It, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. We love the Jews. We want them back in their homeland, <laughs> but it won't be long, and two thirds of them will be wiped out. Um, oh, I love your mind. <laughs> okay, first question. Please say your name. Hi, Sean. It's Joan. Hello, Joan. Can you hear me? Yep. Okay. Um, my question is, since I'm kind of new out of Mormonism and new into Christianity, I don't understand any of this. Oh, bless your so, heart. Kind of the Cliff Notes nutshell version of what preterism is and what it means for us, like the last 2,000 years and us for right now, what are we waiting for? Huge question. Okay. Uh, entire books written. In fact, we got a case of his books. We're going to get another case, and reading that will really help you. But you know even the LDS. In fact, this is one of the things that attracted me to what uh, Glenn had to say, is the LDS talk about the second coming. It was a millennial. Uh, it was established as a millennial religion. Joseph Smith saying, he's coming back. He's coming back. Get ready. Get ready. And they've been, they've been holding those people over that fire for 180 years, 160 years now. So this was an important thing in the Mormon Christian discussion because if we can show that the only true church on the face of the earth, the Mormon church, is wrong on their eschatology, their view of end times, if we can prove that, then we can show LDS people, you've got, you're, you're saying you trust your prophet to lead you properly, but he's got his eschatology wrong. That's why preterism is so important. But what it is essentially, what, what it's all about is... I'm asking the expert. I'm going to have him. Yeah, expert. I, uh, I've had a lot of people to tell me, the Lord's already come. You've taken my hope away. I've got nothing to hope for anymore. And so I wrote a little article one time and I preached a sermon called My Journey from Hoping to Having. And then essentially I was saying, which is better? To wish you had a new Cadillac convertible or having one? And which is better? And which is better, having all that everybody expected that Jesus was going to bring to us when he comes back sometime way out yonder, which is better, hoping, hoping for it one day or having it. You see, the, the, king, the kingdom has come, you know, and where everything that Jesus was going to bring and going to do for people when he came back, as I used to believe, he's already done for us. And I just have to accept it and live in it and rejoice in it and that has been the source of so much of my joy is as I realize that uh, I have eternal life I realize I, I, I have salvation through faith in him and I, I don't have to worry about it and I, I'm um, not, not, not afraid that tomorrow the great tribulation is going to start and I'm not afraid that tomorrow the antichrist is going to rise and things are going to get so terrible and, and when you tell people that they get all down in the mouth, you know. Well, no, not going to have a great tribulation. What do you want to go through? And I mean, you know, it's uh, 
it's crazy. It's a whole lot better than all that's behind us. And, and there's no, there ain't a Christ to come. Whatever he was and whatever he'd been, John, John said it was already there in his day 2,000 years ago. So either John misled everybody or it's over and done. And the Antichrist is a revelation subject for preachers, but the word's not even in the, in the text of the revelation. So uh, it means, my, my dear sister, that all that Jesus has for us, we can have now. Hallelujah. We, it, it can begin here. It don't mean there's no hereafter, no eternity, but the joy and the happiness and the love of the Lord in our lives begins here, and I believe just goes on into eternity. Um, I spent you? most of my life just, just searching, 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 trying to get righteous, trying to get good enough for the Lord to save me. And I realized, you know, that he, has, that he will save me if I'll let him. And he'll fill my heart with joy unspeakable and full of glory if I'll accept it. Uh, it's just been wonderful. So uh, I'm not anticipating any terrible things to happen. Prophecy has been fulfilled. Uh, the Lord has uh, uh, given us his best here. He, he's promised to come and live in us and us in him. It's a spiritual it's a spiritual existence with the Lord. It's a spiritual kingdom that covers the earth. And uh, we just get to enjoy it today and don't have to wait on it, hoping for it. The, the problem with most people's Christianity is it's like the, the old song, I got a mansion, you know. And it said, I got a mansion just over the hilltop. You know, they can't get to it and they're never there. But, but praise God, I'm living, Brother Sean, in my mansion today. On my hillside, hallelujah. And I'm enjoying it to the fullest extent. God lives in my life and, and He fills me with His happiness and His joy. And another old song I mentioned a couple of Sundays ago, uh, I'll Fly Away. Mm -hmm. One verse says, just a few more weary days and then I'll fly away. And I said, I hope your lives are not lived like that. That you just, just can't wait to get out of here. <laughs> hallelujah. Jesus has filled our lives, my life and yours, I can tell, with joy unspeakable and full of glory right now, here today. And it just makes it so, so wonderful. That is part of the, I still have answered your question, Chuck. But read my book. It's real simple. I tell people it's first grade material because that's about all I know how to write about. So you can understand it and it will, it will help you, I think, to grasp this stuff about, about preterism. I mean, it, it's simply this. I'd say Christianity's great dilemma. What's the dilemma? Well, the dilemma is the Lord told his disciples some of them were still going to be living when he came back. Okay, now either he came back a long time ago or as somebody says, there's a 2,000 years old, 2,000 year old guy walking around. That's silly, of course. But either, there's just two options. He either kept his word and came back when he said or he deceived them all and he's not the son of God. And a false prophet himself. That's the dilemma. And the church will not face it. They will not face it. He, he, and of course they do everything they can to get around his, his, his statement that, that about his coming is that this generation will not pass until all these things be fulfilled. And one of those things he was talking about was his coming. The, this generation is used about 21, two or three times in the New Testament. And every other time it's used, all the preachers are great. He's talking to the people living then, this generation. 
But when he said it in Matthew 24, they have to say, he wasn't talking about this generation there. But they have to say that because they have another answer to it. But Jesus told his apostles, Shug, that he was coming in their generation. Now, generation is, in the Bible is generally accepted to be 40 years. So by the year, and Jesus said that about 30 A.D., and by 70 A.D., the Lord had come, we believe. Again, he didn't, and I used to say he hadn't come because he hadn't destroyed the world. But the world he was going to destroy was not our natural carnal world. It was the world of Judaism, the world of Israel, the old covenant world. That was the world that was about to pass away. And I'll explain that to you in my little book. But um, I'm talking too much. Go ahead. You're doing great. Uh, we have, you have the mic? Okay, and uh, okay, uh, go ahead, please. Uh, Brother Glenn, God bless you. So good to have you here. Well, it's just a pleasure. I'm Warren, and uh, I guess I'm seven-eighths preterist. Seven-eighths? <laughs> there's, okay. there's an eighth that just I'm hung up on, and, okay. and it's the new earth. It's the, is this thing going to go on for infinity? What is your take on that? Well, um, we have no, we have no, prophecy or prospect or that it will end the new earth the new earth is not a new terra firma Uh, the heaven and earth that passed away Jesus said the heaven and earth are going to pass away and and in Revelation a new heaven and earth came and Peter told his people people, that this heaven and earth is going to be burned up but to look for a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. And John in Revelation saw it coming down in the 21st chapter, a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth that passed away. Well, the first heaven and the first earth in total was, was that word of Judaism. It was their heaven and earth. The, the, God said through the prophet Isaiah in the 51st chapter that when he created Israel, when he gave them their law, that he created a heaven and an earth. It, it, it was an environment. It was a place in to live. And that's what heaven and earth is. Our heaven and earth and natural is a place for us to live. And God created for Israel a special place to live. He gave them a special law. And for about 1,500 years, they lived in it. And that was their heaven and earth. But Jesus said it was going to pass away. Again, what was passing away was that world of Judaism. Uh, the law was ending. Uh, the rituals of the Old Testament were ending. Uh, the requirements for things like circumcision were ended. The requirements for sacrifice were ending. That world was coming to an end and going to be replaced by the new world of the new covenant. And so the, the old heaven and earth passed away, and what replaced it was a new heaven and earth, not a new physical heaven and earth, but a new spiritual heaven and earth, a new place for his people to live, a new place for his people to live. And John saw... The, the new heaven and new earth in 21, first chapter, coming down from God out of heaven. And he says, for the former things have passed away. And the former things that passed away was the old covenant world of Judaism. And, and it had to pass away completely. He couldn't just, it, it was, he, God was unable to, to bring it to pass or chose not to bring it to pass just, I'll say, changing covenant. He wiped that world out. I mean, Jerusalem was destroyed utterly. The temple was utterly destroyed. That was the world of Judaism. He had to get that all out of the way. And in the book of Hebrews, it says that as long as that first temple was standing, 
then the new temple could not come into existence in its fullness. And so that world had to be gotten out of the way. And the Roman Empire was the, was the source that God used to bring judgment on Jerusalem and wipe that world out of the way. Uh, the Old Testament prophet had said it would be so completely destroyed that, that where the temple was would be plowed with a horse and a mule. And, and we have a, a history that says one of, of uh, the, Roman, uh, the Roman soldiers took a horse and plow and plowed up the, the ground where the temple stood. And it fulfilled that old prophecy in out of the Old Testament. But that world was wiped away with, and then the new heaven and the new earth came into existence in its fullness. I believe maybe God, we can say that God began to build it in, uh, at Pentecost. And so on the one hand, you got the old world, you got the old world coming down to nothing, and you got the new world of Christ coming up into its fullness during that period of time. And once the greatest Satan, the greatest devil that the church had was the Jewish leadership and the Jewish people. They fought tooth and toenail against the church and, and Rome helped them some to, and they nearly wiped out the Christians. There were so many martyrs in that, in that early age of the church. But God avenged his people and all that old system was wiped away and the new came into its fullness, and uh, we get to enjoy it and live in it today. And Revelation says, it is done. God said, it is done. It is done. And the work was done. And, and now, now we get to live where there's no more tears and sorrows and no more crying. Now everybody's looking for a time, Brother Sean, when naturally in this world here, yeah, we won't be crying, there won't be any tears. But they were spiritual tears. Can you imagine the agony of somebody like the woman caught in the act of adultery? And they bring her to Christ and they get ready to stone her. Can you imagine the agony of trying to keep all those 600 and some laws and if you missed one, you're guilty of all of them? Paul says that was a ministry of death. That old covenant was a ministry of death. In Christ we have one that's a ministry of righteousness. And and the tears that were wiped away. The, the verse explains itself. There, there'll be more tears, no more sorrow, no more death. Again, spiritual death. There'll be none. Why? Because the old things have passed away. That's what, that's what freed us from the weeping. We now, we, now it's rejoicing. It don't mean your natural life is not going to have tears and ups and downs. But your relationship with the Lord Praise is no more one of tears and weeping and disappointment. Uh, Warren, you, the microphone, who has it? I have Cassidy, it. okay, go ahead. Hi, Brother Hill, this is such a, just such a blessing to have you here. You're real kind. Oh, this is just awesome. My question is, um, this eschatology has really opened up my walk with God and has really changed my walk with God, but the hardest part okay. about it has been... Stop, Cass, I'm sorry. Can we give more house sound? And to Cass, talk loud. In fact, stand up so Glenn okay. can hear you. I said this eschatology has changed my walk with God big time. Um, but the hardest part for me has been the backlash yeah. from the body and people that you expect to, you know, hear you out and things like that. So I wondered in your expertise how you manage that and how you, uh, what your perspective is on other believers who are probably well-meaning but um, have shunned you. I mentioned, I mentioned earlier my pain for standing for the truth.
And uh, it's a lot of it, a lot of heartache. Uh, people that you've loved all your life and people who loved you all your life, as I said, now they think you've left the faith and, and, and they don't want anything in particular to do with you and they don't want to talk about it. And um, it, it's really hard. And um, I wish I had a, a good answer for you, Suge. Or, um, I mentioned earlier that my wife and I kind of saw this truth together and we, um, it, we embraced it together and then we suffered together. And so I had her to lean on and she had me to lean on and, and if we didn't have anybody else, we had each other to, to hold in our arms and that was just wonderful. And I run into brothers so often or sisters whose spouse don't see it and they see it and I said, I don't know how you make it because it was a, such a great source of strength for me. But you, you just have to draw strength, I think, from those who do see it and those who do agree with it and, and find, your, find your strength there in their fellowship and in their comfort uh, and, and realize that you know, if you, if you talk to 10 people, you'll be lucky if one of them opens their eyes a little bit and begins to see, and, and maybe they will. But if you find that one, it'll make up for all the suffering and the heartache and the rejection that you experience with all the rest. And uh, just like being here tonight, all, the, all that I've been through is just like nothing as compared to being in your company now. And um, I'm sorry that anybody's mistreated you about this or hurt your feelings, but just lean on the Lord and lean on the people who understand. I got to tell you, Glenn, when we, uh, when we first, when I first started teaching uh, from your book, uh, there was a lot more people here <laughs> and outside. We had a guy right in that front row stand up and say, you are of the devil. Ooh. And he stormed out <laughs> and, uh, it's just so, I mean, we've lost a lot over this subject, and, but I'm just fascinated to know that you also have the same belief that I do, at least, on hell. Oh, now, we man. have an off-air question. Can, Can you provide scriptural reference that hell is over? Well, um, I can. What I can provide is this, and people don't know it, but the word hell or any word that means what hell means, is not in the Bible. Now, it's in our King James Bible, 80-some times. But in the original Hebrew of the Old Testament and the original Greek of the New Testament, the word hell is not there. It has been added through the years by the translators. I used to say that when you saw hell in the Bible, it was a bad translation. But I've changed my view on that. It's not a bad translation. They just took the word that was there out and they put hell in. <laughs> and it's because that hell was such a prominent, prominent uh, doctrine of the Roman church in the Dark Ages. And when the King James translator was translated, they just translated a lot of the times the word hell. And you know in the Old Testament it comes from the Hebrew word sheol. Half the time they call it sheol the grave. The other half time they call it hell. Now how do you decide which? Does it mean hell or does it mean the grave? But it doesn't mean hell, it means the grave. And uh, um, it, it's not in there. And, and one, of the, one of the preeminent places people go to preach about hell is the rich man and Lazarus story. 
And I preached a sermon on that one time, and I've got a, uh, I've got a um, uh, notes notes about it. But that's a parable, and it, it's not at all talking about talking about uh, what happens after we die. But uh, it's it, people go to it and just take it literally, just like it says. But it can't be taken that way. If it's taken that way, then it means when you get to heaven. In all the good time you're having, you're going to hear your brothers over yonder screaming, screaming, wanting you to bring us some water. What kind of glory was that going to be? But it's a parable. And you've got to understand it like a parable. And so each, each, each of those people, each of those symbols that represent, represent something. And, and I'll just say I believe that it's a, a picture of the ending of the old priesthood and perhaps the beginning of the new but definitely the beginning of the old, the rich man that was dressed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day, that's the perfect description of the Levitical priesthood. Their clothing, purple and fine linen, and they lived off the tithes of the people and did well. Hmm. And the, uh, the Lazarus that came and begged at his door, begged for acceptance, was Jesus. And um, the dogs that came licked his sores were the Gentiles that believed on him. You know, they're like the, like the centurion. Mm. Oh, I haven't found this kind of faith in Israel, but I'm finding it. They were, the, they were the dogs. You know, the Gentiles were dogs to Jews, but those dogs licked his sores. Mm. It's a beautiful story when you understand all that's been happening and all that it means by it. But, but hell's not in the Bible. The word's not in there. Uh, I had a brother tell me the other day, it, it is, it, it's Gehenna. Well, that's, that's the word from which hell is translated in the New Testament sometimes. Gehenna was the name of the valley outside Jerusalem, the valley of Hinnon. Gehenon, the valley of Hinnon. And it's just like taking Jerusalem and, and making another word. They should have said the valley of Hinnon. Instead, they said hell. Mm. Had nothing to do with hell. Amen. It's, it's, and you've got to get in your book and, and find those errors and things like that to understand it. But... Here's the simple thing. I don't remember who answered the, asked the question. Here's the simple thing. When did sin begin in the garden? What did God tell Adam he was going to do to him if he disobeyed him? What? He died. Thou shalt surely. surely die. No, no. I'm going to fry you forever, buddy, if you disobey me. <laughs> oh, not a word about hell fire. You're going to die. And the problem, the problem of Christianity is that heaven and hell have never been the alternatives for me and you. Mm. Okay? Heaven and hell have never been the alternatives for me and you. The alternatives for mankind are life and death. Mm. Man lost his life in the garden. And the whole story of the Bible was the work of Jesus to bring us life again. And if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, He is the way, the truth, and the life. And He that hath the Son hath the life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Adam, all we have is death. Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And the choices for me that you can see are death and life. If we have nothing to do with Jesus, we're dead spiritually. We're going to die one day and never know life again. But if we accept the offer of the Lord Jesus then he will give us life now and life eternal. If you're interested in living forever, Jesus has got something for you. If you aren't, then, you know, you just will eat, drink, and be merry and, and live out there a few, three score and ten and be done with it. Praise God. Two more questions. Where are we at?
I run out of answers. <laughs> you are so good. This is such a blessing. That I was raised, born and raised, knowing that Jesus was coming back. And at 19, I thought for sure he was coming, and yeah. I've been surprised every day since because at 43, I finally found preterism and thought, oh my gosh, I've wasted all my life waiting for him yeah. when he's here. So it's been a great journey since January. Since Thank you, Suge. Right. That, that's been, the story of anybody that's seen it. Right. It's been a great life-changing journey. Right. Sister Mary hugged my neck out there and just blessed my heart. But my question is, how do you explain, I mean, people are telling me now, well, what about resurrection and the, the bodies coming out of the earth, and how does preterism fit with that? Well, lay it on them. We've got I'm, five minutes. I'm not very good at that, so I, <laughs> I, I, don't think, I don't think God ever intended to, again, to raise again these physical bodies. Yeah. I don't think he had any interest in it, any intention of it. So I did look for that about all my life, you know. I often wonder how in the world it's going to be. My brother Joe was an old fisherman and he got drowned at sea and the fish ate him. And, you know, but then I would say, nothing's impossible with God. He can break that body again. But why would he want to? Uh, I don't want this old rheumatoid arthritis body again but to me the resurrection and there are some predators that look for what they call the individual body resurrection yet yet to come um, and a physical rapture uh, of course they believe the rapture already occurred in the days of Christ but I don't after Christ but I don't look for a resurrection of the physical bodies uh, what 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 was resurrected to me was the Israel that was dead in their trespasses and sin. God brought Israel back to life again through Christ. There was a resurrection, uh, the just and the unjust. Everybody, it's evil and, and good people, heard the, the, the Christ that preached and brought the awakening in his day. Some of them believed to everlasting life. Others believed to everlasting destruction. Those who believed in Christ uh, could, could find a newness in life and eternal life and those who rejected him wouldn't. But I, I don't see a, a spirit, I have an answer to your question, I know, and I, I confess that I'm weak on that subject and I apologize. I, I'm still studying and still learning, but uh, it, it's, it's, it's not what I was looking for all my life. I realized that, that's, that I was in error there. So you talk about it, Brother John, Hepper some. I'll talk to you afterward because we're running out of time but I do have a view and it's similar to what uh, brother Glenn is saying uh, last question Guyman you got to make it quick well I was gonna say that I believe that God is truth and uh, at one point talking about this I've used to be LDS and I was always drilled into that religious you one day he's gonna come and it yeah. you know the the truth is God and that and the grace is just knowing that that he's already saved us. Yeah. Amen, brother. Amen. Thank you so much, Adam. Um, <clears throat> what about the Jehovah's Witness view of being destroyed and forgotten? Any final thought on that <clears throat> idea? Well, the whole Jehovah's Witnesses believe they believe in a hell. They just believe it's not forever and eternal. Mm -hmm. I don't believe in one at all. 
And I believe, again, our choices are life and death. And Adam, we all die. I believe that we, we live and die here without Christ. And as Obadiah said, we become as though we had not been. We were from the earth, we went back to the earth, and that's the end of us. Never hope to live again. The only hope of life is through Jesus. And if we believe in him, then we can have life. Praise God. It's life or death. Cannot thank, uh, I can't encourage you enough. Uh, the way he wrote this is so simple, but it's so deep, and he uses scripture. I can't influence you enough to, 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 to get this book. So we're going to show it this week. We'll show it in future shows. Get this, but there it is, glenn.com, and buy it from Glenn. Because I think you make more money that way. Yeah, don't you? I get a little more. Get it from Glenn. <laughs> from Glenn. And uh, we will see you all next week here on Heart of the Matter. Thank you. Thank you.